Lord, that's our prayer this morning. Would you pour your Holy Spirit out? We don't need more. We don't need more money. We don't need more stuff. We don't need you to fix. If we have more of your Spirit, then everything else will fall into place. So we invite you, Lord. Send your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit, Lord. I pray now that you would speak to us through your Word. You would change our hearts and start with mine. We don't want to leave here the same way we got here. So make us more like you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So this summer has been a little bit weird for me because we, I try and be very deliberate about when I schedule myself to be gone and vacations and speaking other places. And a couple weeks, a few weeks ago, I got sick, and so I was out, and then I was back for one week, and then last week I was at Grace Place in Berthoud. A very good friend of mine, Pastor Clay Peck, invited me to speak there months ago, and so it was scheduled, and I'm really thankful that we've got folks here on our staff and here on our team that can step in and deliver the mail and deliver the Word of God in a powerful way. Last year, yep. Last week, Marissa preached an incredible message, and if you haven't heard it, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. So before COVID, uh, there, there are people who research things like pastoral longevity and, and things like that, and there was this, these surveys that they would send out from time to time, and they would ask pastors, uh, do you ever think about quitting uh, the ministry or, and doing something else? And before COVID, that, the number of people that would respond yes to that was like 7%. And uh, after COVID, that number went up to like 40%. Uh, pastoring became incrementally more difficult because there were so many opinions about what to do during COVID because the church was, was physically closed only online. There was, a, there was a lot that went into that. Anyway, so um, this pastor, that, this orphanage we support in Mexico, it's in Chihuahua, Mexico. We support four orphanages here at Mosaic. Two of them are in Piedras Negras, Mexico, two are in Chihuahua. And the pastor that runs that orphanage in Chihuahua, he actually has a, a couple different orphanages. He has one for just special needs kids. He has one for older kids. He's got a, a whole incredible ministry going on down there. He was here a few weeks ago, and he, I didn't know this about him, but he is also an overseer for the Assemblies of God. So he oversees um, about 100 pastors in Chihuahua. And so he came, and, and he's talking to me about, you know, about how many pastors want to quit the ministry now and how his, the pastors he's, he's overseas are really struggling. Many of them, their churches shrunk or, or some of them were shut down and it's just been really a difficult time for these pastors. And so I'm listening to him, you know, and, and I'm not sure why he's telling me this, but I'm listening. And then he says, I just know that if you came and talked to him, you would have the words to encourage him and keep him from quitting. And I'm like, no pressure. You know what I mean? Like, Angel, say something. I'm like, I, Angel was in that 40% a little bit too. You know what I mean? And so, um, so to this afternoon, so I'm not going to be able to stick around after church like we normally do and say bye to everybody and all that because we fly out at 2.30 today for Chihuahua, so we're going to be taking off immediately after service. Uh, so tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, if you would remember, I would really appreciate if you'd pray for, for me. I'm going to be speaking to about 100 pastors. We're going to be doing a bunch of other stuff at the orphanages. Would really appreciate uh, because... It, we're, we're very strategic about how we spend our time and our money here. And so uh, you've probably heard me talk a lot about how we work with pastors. Because if I go to someone's church and I speak to the people, I might encourage a couple hundred people, maybe a few hundred. But if I can speak to a couple hundred pastors, then our church is now resourcing and encouraging thousands and thousands of Christians. Doesn't that seem like it makes more sense? So that's what we'll be doing tomorrow. So if you'd pray for us, man, I would really appreciate it. So today we're starting a brand new series called When Pigs Fly. How many of you have ever heard that phrase before, when pigs fly, right? It's, it's originated in the 1600s, 
And it's kind of a sarcastic way of saying that's never going to happen, right? That's impossible. Like if someone said, they're going to finish the construction on I-25. <laughs> you would be like, when pigs fly, right? You know what I mean? Pastor Angel's getting a pet cat. Those of you that know me, when pigs fly. Or the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl. Okay, like, all right. Each of those statements is so far-fetched. It would take a miracle, right, for one of those things to happen. Now, here at Mosaic, we are, we're Christians, we're followers of Christ. We believe in miracles. But oftentimes, we believe in miracles in a generic sense, but it's like, yeah, I believe that God could do that, but for some reason, I don't think he would do it for me. And so let's, let me define what I think a miracle is. This is my definition of miracle. A miracle is when God suspends the laws of nature to intervene for the good of his people. For example, the law of nature says if you put something of mass, if the law of physics, if you put mass inside of water, since it's heavier than the water, it'll displace the water and it'll sink, right? But Jesus walked on water. So he suspended the laws of physics and nature to intervene to encourage the people. Uh, as people Jesus would heal people that were sick. The law of nature says this sickness is going to progress until this person dies. But Jesus would suspend the law of nature and intervene for the good of his people. He would come in and heal them. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about different kinds of miracles that God still does. Uh, but today we're going to look at the greatest miracle of all. It's the miracle of resurrection. We're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Now, this miracle has to hit each of us personally, on a very personal level. God intervenes in our lives and confronts us and tries to draw us home to him. So when I was 21 years old, I talked my way into a job that I was not really qualified for, got hired, and uh, I started making more money than I had ever seen in my life. I was, I was in sales, I was traveling around the country, they would fly me all over the place. 21 years old, I had the company credit card. It was fun, I'm not gonna lie, all right? But during that time, uh, I was chasing money. And so we're 21 years old and Diana and I had a brand new house built. Uh, we had a nice car, we had furniture, we had all that stuff, and I still felt empty inside. Has anybody ever got the thing that you thought would make you happy? Like, once I get to this thing, once I get this thing, once I get this person, once I get whatever, then I'll be happy, and then you got it, and it lasted for a little while, but after a while, it wore off, and that ache came back. Can anybody else relate to that? There's this old song that says, there's a God-shaped hole in all of us, and I think God has designed that because only he can fill it. But we try and fill it with all kinds of other stuff. I tried to fill it with money, with stuff, with achievement. Uh, we try and fill it with relationships. Sometimes we try and medicate it and try and fill it that way. But that ache never really goes away. So we're living in this dead space. But Jesus is so good at going to dead places and invading dead spaces and bringing life if we'll just invite him. So that's kind of the central story of the Bible is God invading our dead places and bringing life. So we're going to look at the, the actual time that Jesus spent in the tomb, in the dead place. Jesus was in the tomb for three days. Why was Jesus in the tomb for three days? He could have resurrected in 30 minutes. He could have stayed much longer. Why, why, why three days? I have a theory about that. And when Jesus was in the tomb, even when he was in the tomb, he was teaching us. And he's, he's teaching us something about the process that happens in our lives. And so uh, ev everything Jesus did taught us 
So Jesus lives a perfect life. He's born, lives a perfect life, never lied, never even told a little white lie. If someone said, Jesus, does this make me look fat? <laughs> Jesus would say, in a very nice way, I'm sorry, yes. You know what I mean? Like, he, <laughs> Jesus never... He, he, he. So Jesus is asked directly by the religious leaders, are you the Son of God? And he says, yes. And that got them so angry that they had him murdered, killed him, hung him on a, on a tree, died on the cross. They put him in a tomb, and now where he was dead for three days. And so that was Friday. I call Friday, the first day, I call Friday the day of pain. So Roman crucifixion was the most painful way that a person could be killed. If you were, if you were crucified on a cross, that was the most painful way to go. Now, Jesus could have been born at any time in human history. He could have been born today. And if he had been executed today, he would have died probably by lethal injection. Much more humane than the way he was killed. But Jesus chooses this very painful way of dying. Why did he do that? Jesus experienced the day of pain so he could help you through your day of pain. There's nothing we can say that we say Jesus doesn't understand. Jesus, has, he's, never, he's never been there. He, now, there, there's a lot of different ways that you can be in pain. One of them is the most obvious, physical pain. Jesus experienced extreme physical pain. So if you're in pain, he understands. If you have chronic pain, the problem with chronic, long-lasting pain is that not what it does to our bodies, but what it does to our soul. It creeps into our soul, and it makes us depressed, and it, makes us, it causes us to lose hope. So Jesus understands extreme physical pain. The other kind of pain that he experienced was emotional pain. You don't get this much in the movies about his life, but the Bible says in Isaiah that he was despised and rejected by men. So the people that he loved the most turned their backs on him, and he experienced extreme emotional pain. I don't think there's ever been a time in history that's harder to grow up in for a teenager than right now, that there's more emotional pain than there is for teenagers right now. When I was in school, if someone, if my friends got together and didn't invite me, I had no idea. But today, because of Snapchat and TikTok and Thread and X or Twitter or whatever it's called now and all of that other stuff, everything is being broadcast 24 hours a day. If a kid was bullied when I was in school, he went home and he had a break. Today, bullying is 24 hours a day. I'm telling you this because, young people, if you're dealing with emotional pain, there is an answer. There's a person that understands. His name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus also dealt with relational pain. He had family problems just like you do. If you're single and you're saying, man, I'm trying to do my best to stay single and, and, and to stay faithful to God and not be tempted, Jesus understood that. Jesus was a single man. He was tempted, the Bible says, in every way. And you might say, yeah, well, Jesus doesn't understand what it's like to be married, especially to him. You know what I mean? Or her, right? Well, that's not true. The Bible tells us that the church is the bride of Christ. So Jesus understands what it's like to be married to someone crazy. You know what I mean? <laughs> the Bible also says that when we sin, it's like we're cheating or being unfaithful to our spouse who is God. So Jesus not only knows what it's like to be married, he knows what it's like to be married to someone who's being unfaithful. He understands relational 
pain. Think about Jesus when he was born. He's be, his mom is in labor, and there's no family. None of his cousins, none of his relatives would even let her in the house. So Jesus had to be born in a barn. Jesus was rejected by his family before he was even born. He understands relational pain. And then he grows up, and his family shows up, and he starts preaching, and they say, get him. He's out of his mind. He's crazy. His family thought he was crazy. Does anybody have a family member, like someone that you know in your family, that's like the crazy, like I don't like to use the word crazy, but, but the crazy one, you know what I mean? Raise your hand if you have one of those. Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, if you're like, you know, everybody's pretty normal, then it's you. You're the one that we're all thinking about. No, I'm just being serious. Anyway, um, so think about all of the different kinds of pain that Jesus endured. But the Bible says, in the book of Romans, we'll be reading this this week in our Bible reading plan, it says that we know that God causes everything, everyone say everything, everything, to work together for the good of those who love God, that's you, and who are called according to his purpose for them, that is you. In other words, God takes every good thing, every bad thing, and every painful thing, and he uses it for a good purpose. Now, God didn't cause the pain. God didn't cause whatever you've dealt with, but he never wastes a tear, and he never, he never turns his back on someone who's hurting. So that means that one day God is going to take that thing that's been painful for you, and he's going to use it somehow for the good. And I know that's hard to think sometimes. Sometimes it's hard to imagine, hard to see. Diane and I, not too long ago, sat with a woman who had three kids, and she, not, she lost not one, but two of them to suicide. I can't imagine a worse pain for a mom than to get that call twice. And you know what she did? She said, there's got to be some kind of purpose for this pain. And this lady has now led hundreds of people in Greeley through grief counseling and grief care, mothers, fathers, siblings of people who have taken their lives. She found a purpose for her pain. And if God can do that for her, he can do it for you. So, yep. So Friday is the day of pain, Saturday is the day of waiting, and the day of confusion. Now think about the disciples. They weren't sitting around on Saturday saying, well, tomorrow Jesus is going to resurrect from the dead. They weren't like, tomorrow's Easter, so let's go get some eggs, some dye, let's get a ham. They were Jewish, they didn't eat ham. And let's get a tie, I don't even know how to tie a tie, but we got church tomorrow. They didn't think that. What, they were in shock, and they were confused because the person they thought was going to be the next king of Israel, he was their mentor, he was their, they knew he was the son of God, he was their friend. This person, they watched him die on a tree. So you can imagine how shocked, how confused they are. The Bible says most of them went back to their old lives. Three years every day walking with Jesus. Three years walking with the son of God, knowing who he is, and they go back to their old lives. Now, not everyone is in pain all the time. Sometimes, once the pain is over, we're just left now with confusion. And so when we're, once the pain is over, oftentimes we want answers. Tell me why. Why did this happen? Why did God do this? Why didn't God do something? I can't tell you how many times I've had people ask me that as a pastor. I, I wish I could tell. I don't know. I don't have those answers. I have my own questions. Like when I get to heaven, I'm going to go find Adam. You know, like Adam and Eve? 
And I'm going to walk up to him and I'm going to say, hi, Adam, my name is Angel Flores. I'm your great, 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 grandson. You know what I mean? And then I'm going to say, could I, could I, could I do something? And I'm going to lift up his shirt and see if he has a belly button. Because I've always, you've never wondered about that? Like, no? Okay. Think about it. We could talk about that during lunch today. We, we, we all have we have questions. When I, fi- when, I, when I find Noah, Noah, you know Noah's Ark? I'm going to walk in and say, Noah, can I ask you a question, man? By the way, my name is Angel Flores, Mosaic Church. Anyway, um, why didn't you just kill those two mosquitoes when you had a chance? Like, why didn't you just, you know what I mean? Like, now the questions that you want to ask God are probably deeper than that, right? They're probably more significant than, than that. But I really believe that when we get there, by then, God is gonna has sh- will have shown us the purpose for our pain because you'll have said, Lord, I'm not going to look back anymore. I'm not going to ask why anymore because you're chasing your tail. You're never going to find an answer. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to trust you and I'm going to look forward believing that you have a purpose for my pain. And so by the time we get there, we're going to have it seen, we're going to have seen it played out on our lives and we're going to say, God, I understand. And your way was perfect. I really do believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to look at everything God did and didn't do, and we're going to say, in that, with that perspective, we're going to say, it was perfect. You did it right. But right here and now, it's really hard to see because we want answers. When we're waiting, the longer we wait, we also lose hope. Jesus' disciples lost hope. Judas lost so much hope, he killed himself, committed suicide. Peter loses so much hope, he goes back to fishing. There's this, this worship leader in the Bible. He lived 2,700 years ago. His name was Asaph. This is what he said about this type of waiting. He said, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Have you ever had something like that? Trying to understand it, trying to, God, why? What is it? And it, and it just eats at us, and it troubles us. But then, he says this, until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood. What is he talking about? He's talking about being in the presence of God, about worship. He started worshiping God. Didn't just go to church. He worshiped God. And as he began to worship, he put his eyes on Jesus and recognized how big and powerful God is compared to our issues, and then he understood. The reason, yep. The reason we sing so much in this church is not because we're all a bunch of old choir nerds that just love singing, and so let's get together and harmonize, all right? I I don't even know what that means. I can't tell you. I don't know what harmony is. But, and it's not because, well, we got to fill the time because Angel can only keep their attention for about 25 minutes, and then, you know, right? It's not that. It's because when we lift up the name of Jesus, the Bible says every knee bows, Darkness flees. Walls crumble when the name of Jesus is lifted up. So next time your life is spinning out of control, go somewhere by yourself. Put on one of the worship songs we listened to today. Focus your eyes and attention on Jesus and watch what God does. Sometimes he'll change the situation. Sometimes he'll just bring peace in your heart. Either way he shows up every single time. Now, so Saturday is the day of waiting. It's the day of confusion. But Sunday 
is the day of resurrection. One of the most well-documented ancient historical facts is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. With all the different authors' accounts, with the eyewitness accounts, this is what Chuck Colson said about the resurrection. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and they proclaimed that truth for 40 years. Never once did they deny it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured if that wasn't true. Watergate involved 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. And you're telling me 12 uneducated apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Sometimes people wrestle with that. Is that true? Did Jesus really resurrect from the dead? Do you believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States? Yeah, we believe that, right? Like, why? Were you there? Did you see him? Did you ever meet George? Did you see his wooden teeth? Did you see that weird wiggy war? No. But we believe it because history tells us that there were eyewitnesses that were reliable and they saw it. Did you know that over 500 people saw Jesus resurrected from the dead? Paul talks about that. He says, if you don't believe me, ask any of those 500 people. If he was lying, it would have all fallen apart back then. The most, uh, the most trustworthy event in the history of the world is that Jesus resurrected from the dead. The, the dead. The reason that Christianity is different than every other world religion is this. Jesus is alive. Look what he says about the resurrection. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus didn't just say, I resurrected. He said, I am the resurrection. I bring life to dead things. You don't need a resurrection if there's no death. Our lives without Christ are dead. And Jesus shows up as the resurrection and changes everything. I wish I had time to line people up in this church who've had their lives radically changed by God. People who thought they would never be clean again. People who were so deep, deep into drug use, they thought their lives were over. People who thought they would live in chronic pain forever. People who thought their marriage was over, that their family would never be whole again. People who thought their kids would never figure it out. But they placed them in the hands of Jesus, and he resurrected their lives. Jesus didn't just come to make bad people good. That's called religion. Jesus came to take dead people and bring them back to life. That is what he does. This is Alcides Romero. On December 7, 2007, he was cleaning windows with his brother Edgar on the 47th floor of the Solo Building in Manhattan. And they were window cleaning. Now, 47 stories, there's not a, the, the tallest building in Greeley is Lawrenson Hall at UNC. It's 17 stories. So that gives you an idea of how high this dude was up in the air, right? He said when he looked down, the people looked like ants. While they were cleaning on that cold day, the platform collapsed. And him and his brother fell 47 stories. His brother hit the ground, died instantly. But somehow, Alcides caught an updraft between the buildings. Now, he still was a mess. He, he fell all the way. Now, the odds of someone surviving a three-story fall are about 50%. Alcides fell from 47 stories. When they found him, they took him to the hospital. He was unconscious. He had 16 surgeries. They had to give him 24 pints of blood and 19 pints of plasma. 
That's enough to replace all of the blood in his body twice. He was in a coma for two weeks. On Christmas morning, he woke up, looked at the nurse, touched her face, and asked her where he was and what had happened. The doctor said, if you're a believer of miracles, this would be one. Now, Alcides did in the physical what Adam and Eve did in the spiritual because they were in a perfect place, but because of their sin, they fell a lot longer than 47 stories. And they were on the ground dead. So Jesus shows up and he says, I give life to dead things. He was born to a teenage virgin girl, hung on a cross so that you and I could have not just eternal life in heaven, but we could bring heaven on earth here. If you're a believer in miracles, that would be one. Now, Alcides, for three years, struggled with depression. He had intense survivor's guilt. He said, I, don't, I could never understand why my brother died and I lived. Then later on, he had a son of his own. And he said, this must be the purpose for my pain, to bring this boy into the world. So I'm going to tell him about my brother, and I'm going to tell him about what God did for me. I want to encourage you. There is purpose for your pain. God can resurrect dead things. So we're going to pray. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. If you've never committed your life to Christ, that is the ultimate miracle. You know that every person that Jesus ever healed has died. But every person who ever commits their life to Christ lives forever in heaven. That's the real miracle. So we're going to pray. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. We're going to pray a very simple prayer of repentance. Just says, Lord, forgive me my sins. Wash me, make me new. And then we have some folks that are going to get baptized today. They've committed their lives to Christ, and baptism is a public declaration of them putting their faith in Christ. So let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your people. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for resurrecting dead things. If you're here and you'd like to pray with me, I'm going to invite you to repeat after me. I'm going to ask everyone in this room to pray this prayer out loud so nobody feels embarrassed or ashamed. Repeat after me, say, Dear Jesus, forgive me for every evil thing I've ever done, for every evil thing I've ever said, for every person I've ever hurt. Today I make you Lord of my life. Thank you for dying for me on that cross. Now I trust you, and I know you'll give me purpose for my pain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're getting baptized here today, go ahead and head through that door. There's some folks there that are going to help you get all set up and ready. If you're here and you say, I'd like to get baptized, but I didn't sign up and I'm not ready and whatever, we have everything you need back there that you could possibly need to get baptized. We've got clothes. We've got, you won't go home wet, but you'll go home transformed. So uh, would you stand and sing this last song with us? And then we're going to do some baptisms.
so excited that we get to experience baptisms together today. Baptism is probably one of the most important steps that you can take in your journey, in your walk with Christ. And so we want to celebrate each and every one of these people as they go down into the water and they come up. So we're going to practice together because I just want this to be the best moment of their lives. So I want you to cheer like your favorite team just won the Super Bowl or the World Series or whatever it is, whatever sport it is. So we're gonna practice together on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. That's it, that's it. Okay, you guys may be seated. Can you tell us your name and are you a follower of our Christ? Joshua and yes. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Uh, I just no longer want to live for the world. I just want to live for Jesus. Tell us your name and are you a follower of Christ? My name is Bricia Davila and yes, I am. Is there anything else you'd like to say? I just want to live for the true, uh, the only true God. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm really nervous.
give them one more round of applause. Just a couple of really quick announcements. Um, first, next Sunday is our Move Up Sunday. Um, it's my most favorite week of the year. So if you have a child that's going into kindergarten or middle school or high school or college, um, this coming school year, we wanna celebrate them. So make sure you bring them next Sunday at the 9.30 or the 11. We're just gonna acknowledge them up here on stage as they move on in their next phase of our kids' ministry. Um, so that's next Sunday. Then we have our Mosaic Discover, Discover Mosaic Dinner on August 27th at five o'clock. Um, dinner is provided. This is just a time for you to come and get to know us as a church. Meet our staff, meet our pastors, um, take a tour of the building and just learn about who we are and why we do what we do. And then to see if this may become your church and how you can get involved. Um, so if you'd like to sign up for that, you can do so out in the foyer at the Walking Center. Go ahead and continue with our tithe and offering. Um, as Angel mentioned, we do support four orphanages in Mexico. That's huge. And what we do right now helps with that, impacts that. So it's impacting all over the world, also right here in our community as well. So I invite you to just be faithful with your giving and what God has called you to do. So there are four ways you can give. They're up on the screen here. Um, in person, online, you can text any amount to 84321 or on the Church Center app. So let's go ahead and pray over this tithe offering. Dear God, thank you for, for what you're about to do with this morning's tithe and offering, Lord. And thank you what you've, for what you've already done through us in our community, Lord. I just pray that you would take this offering and you would, that you would use it in abundance to further your kingdom, Lord. Thank you for the hearts of the people of Mosaic, that they are giving and generous people, Lord. God, I pray as we leave today, Lord, that, that people would feel refreshed, God, that you would just pour your spirit out on them as we sing today, Lord. That they would just know that you are with them, regardless of what they're going through, God. I pray that we would all be able to, to make it back here together again next week. In your name we pray. If you did say that salvation prayer today for the first time, we just want to say welcome to the family of God. Um, yeah. You can also scan that QR code. We just want to just send you a little something to help you along in your journey. Um, there will be a prayer team up front if you need additional prayer. And with that, we love you, Mosaic. We'll see you next week.